As soon as the gavel fell on the General Assembly's 2017 session, another session of sorts got underway. In keeping with long-standing tradition, Hoosier politicians of every stripe took to the road, the keyboard, the microphone, and or the airwaves to offer their spin on the just-concluded legislative proceedings. The top two Republicans in the General Assembly, House Speaker Brian Bosma and Senate President Pro Tem David Long, characterized the session as monumental and historic. Their Democratic counterparts, House Minority Leader Scott P. Lath and Senate Minority Leader Tim Lannan, weren't quite so enthusiastic. Any positives, PLAS said, were bookended by special interests and social issue division. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll do our best to sort it all out with four State House journalists who covered the session from start to finish. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are at the top edge of computer technology, 3D design using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. From the first week in January, when Indiana's 150 legislators converged on the State House until last week when they departed, my guests chronicled countless committee hearings, floor debates, rallies, and news conferences, all in order to give their respective readers, listeners, and viewers an accurate, timely, and insightful look at the key issues facing the 2017 General Assembly. I'm pleased to welcome to this week's roundtable discussion Nikki Kelly, State House Bureau Chief for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette, Eric Berman, State House Bureau Chief and Political Reporter for WIBC Radio and Network Indiana. Haley Colombo, Government and Education Reporter for the Indianapolis Business Journal. And Caitlin Lang, State House Reporter for the Evansville Courier and Press and the USA Today Network. Thank you all for interrupting your naps, your post-session <laughs> naps, to come in here and, and be with us. You know, uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion. Um, you've seen and heard it all this, this session, certainly. Normally, in a budget year, the headlines would be dominated, certainly at the end of the session, by the budget. Not so this year. What, what gives? I mean, roads, roads, roads. This is, does, deserve well, all the attention. Also, I think in the budget, on the budget, as we've seen the last couple of years, when you have Republicans in the governor's office and both the House and Senate, there are fewer sort of give and take on the budget. There are like, you know, two or three kind of significant issues, but they are, end up being like, do we give 15 million to pre-K or do we give 20 million to pre-K? They're not, you know, true philosophical loggerheads. And so with the with the roads plan, that was more of a long-term, you know, look and what are we comfortable with on the tax side? What are we comfortable with on the fee side? The tolling debate was very interesting. So I think that one definitely went above above the budget this and year. Of course, even though you did have Republicans controlling both chambers, that doesn't mean that there weren't some friction points uh, on the road issue about, you know, whether to take the gas uh, sales tax on, on gasoline and immediately move it over to tax. dedicate these things to road construction or how big the tax should be, what fees should be, towing. I mean, I guess somebody's got to play the part of the uh, loyal opposition. And if the, if the Democrats aren't uh, numerous enough to do so, I guess 
There has to be internecine warfare. Politics, like nature, abhors a vacuum. <laughs> There's no way that the Senate is, yeah, this looks good. Rubber stamp, send it to the governor. Now, you had a couple of things that sort of shifted that dynamic this year. I mean, not only do you have the same party controlling all the levers on the budget, but it was sort of the ideal year for a budget that would be non-controversial because they didn't have so much money coming in that's like, great, we can do a bunch of new programs. But it wasn't such a tight year that it was, where are we going to cut? It's, yeah, we've got modest increases. So we'll give everybody a modest increase. Now let's get on to the road debate where you had to come up with a new funding source that wouldn't be too painful either for the pocketbook or at the polls, that they seem to have come up with one. And does it deserve all the hype? Again, we saw the, the uh, leaders of uh, the Republican caucuses in the House and Senate, uh, you know, David Long and Brian Bosma talking after the session about we're using words such as historic, monumental, and I guess at 12.15 a.m. On a, on a Saturday morning, a lot of the fact that everybody's still awake is probably monumental. But does it, I mean, this is a generational 20-year, I mean, does it deserve the hype? I mean, there's always obviously a lot of hyperbole that goes around um, because this was, you know, this is what they set out to do. But I think it's a significant investment. And I, I do think, um, you know, it's significant revenue raising, something that Republicans, um, especially, you know, Indiana Republicans, haven't always been comfortable doing. They've been, you know, mostly trying to cut taxes over the past decade or so. Um, I think it's very significant that they pretty much all committed to raising taxes. I think that's maybe something that that just seemed to us as it went along to be sort of a sure thing, but almost stepping back and looking at, you know, we raised gas taxes and raised fees. I think that is a significant, you know, investment. That's a good point. And some of those folks uh, on, the, on the Republican side of the aisle had signed the infamous no new tax pledge, including, if I'm not mistaken, the House Ways and Means Committee chair at one point. So I guess uh, um, situations dictate uh, different action. But do you think there will be repercussions uh, from this? And, you know, we certainly we've heard from Americans for Prosperity and some of the other conservative groups that have suggested that they might uh, try to get some retribution maybe at, at come election time. Uh, and we had uh, caucus leadership on last week. And, and in fact, Tim Lannon was sitting right where you're sitting right now. And, and Scott Pelath was sitting right there. And I got the strong sense that uh, the biggest tax increase in the state's history is sort of the, the phrase that I was here was being test driven. Uh, might show up in some campaigns. It, it, do you think there are any repercussions for Republicans who who advocated this and supported it? Yeah, there might be. But the other thing is uh, so many Republicans supported this. There were, you know, there weren't that many that really spoke out against it. So um, I don't know. There was almost security and numbers on this. And also they're trying to sell it as a user fee. Um, that was their Always main. Always got to have the user fee. Yes, That's that right. was their main conversation, main talking point the entire time that you, it wasn't really a tax increase, they said, because it was if you use the roads, you're paying for it. So I think uh, they're really trying to push that rhetoric, which may end up saving them in the long run. But most of the lawmakers I've been talking to aren't too concerned about it impacting election results. You know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Say, it's easy to forget. Remember, the House passed a tax increase last year. That's they true. passed the cigarette tax. I think the gas tax was in that bill as well. Didn't pass the Senate. But they passed it in an election year. You know how many House incumbents lost their primaries? One. And it had nothing to do nothing with the tax with issue. That. That's, uh, and that's telling, I think. And, and again, this was not a surprise that uh, was sprung on anybody. It, you couldn't say that if it was, had been uh, 
advocated last year and, as you point out, even passed the, the, the chamber. Does I this just stick? wanted I'm to follow up real quickly to Haley's point yeah. on the whole idea of whether it's historic or monumental. I think we need to wait a couple years to see because it's very clear that they know we're going to have to come back in six or seven years and see where that funding is landing us. And that's when the big question of whether we toll interstate lanes here is going to come up because they know the road funding is going to go down with EPA standards going up. And so I, I almost want to say, obviously, it's significant and huge. But as far as the full long-term 20-year plan, I think we need to wait six or seven years to see how long-term it is. Well, and history certainly, if history is any guide, we've seen any number of measures or uh, funding structures that have been set up uh, with that were supposed to be far-reaching and, and long-term only to be upended when circumstances arose, uh, major moves was going to fund uh, any number of projects, and it certainly has, oh, but yeah. not in the manner that, <laughs> not in the manner that uh, perhaps uh, was initially in envisioned. Do you think this will stick uh, yeah. long-term? Because there are some outs, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, once the, the, the sales tax dollars that are on the, on the gas purchases start to migrate in 2020 over, and then are phased in over five years, if there is an out there for the governor to say, well, you know, I need it for health care. I need it for child protective services. I need it for any number of things. So maybe not. Yeah, but, the, but that out only covers about $50 million in a given year. That's a, the bulk of this is going to come from the gas tax increase and from the uh, BMV fees, which we haven't talked about. Everybody who registers a car, $15 more if it's a hybrid or an electric. So significantly more, maybe 100, what is it, 150 for 150 uh, if electric, electric and 50 yeah. for uh, hybrid. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, there, there is a small out on a small slice of that, but I mean, I've used this line before. You've seen that cartoon where there's this ridiculous mathematical equation that covers the whole blackboard, and somewhere in the middle it says, then a miracle occurs. <laughs> You're fine for seven years. They've done everything they set out to do with this bill, but everybody over there knows that it doesn't work at the level that they've planned for it unless you pass tolls somewhere around the seven-year mark. That discussion is going to happen. That might end up being a more controversial discussion than the taxes. Well, and one thing, leadership after, again, in that same, I believe it was in that same midnight uh, plus news conference, or maybe in the immediate aftermath, this notion that uh, we're really proud of what we've done because we didn't uh, incur debt, and we're not kicking the can, to use their phrase, down the road uh, for our grandkids or, or you know future generations to deal with. And yet... If you're, not, if you're putting off, for instance, the phase in of the uh, or the transfer, the phased transfer of the sales tax for a number of years, and if in fact you're putting off the debate, the inevitable debate over tolling, is that not uh, a de facto a definition of uh, of, put, of kicking the can? I'm... In a way, I think, and I also think on the tolling question. Tolling is a little bit more stark to people as they're if they're driving a road that was not told before or something and it's going to be told now, that is something that might be a little bit more politically tricky. I think people are so used to at the gas pump the prices fluctuating depending on, you know, the ebbs and flows that might not be as tricky. I also think on the political question of this, whether or not people are gonna be mad about it or not also depends on how quickly they do get projects up and running. Um, with this revenue increase. And if people are seeing, you know, noticeable improvements, noticeable changes in their roads, I think it's going to be, you know, an easier sell and definitely not hurt them politically. Um, if things sort of keep, you know, if there's some debate over projects, it could be a little 
tricky. Well, did I see Brian Bosma quoted as saying that he wants to smell asphalt in, <laughs> by July? Yep. Not always my favorite smell, and uh, you know, uh, popcorn at the baseball game might be up there, but, but not that morning. one. <laughs> and, and Governor Eric Holcomb said he, he'll, that'll be a wish that's granted. Anything that's going to impede that? I mean, we will see No, I think they have projects ready and on the board. I think they've spent the last couple months doing oh, shovel final ready. engineering. There's a term we haven't heard in a while. Yeah. I think we need to resurrect <laughs> shovel ready. That's, uh, all right. We've run that road to, to, uh, to its uh, logical conclusion. Let's, let's look at education because, again, that's more than half uh, of the state's discretionary spending, as we often point out. And a lot ended up happening. There were some bills like the, uh, the notion, the, the bill that, uh, in fact, makes eventually another one that's fa- that will happen in the future. The state superintendent of public instruction will be appointed, no longer elected. But again, 2025. For, more eventual for, than the governor of the House. More eventual for that. Yeah. But, uh, and then you have, you know, maybe the groundwork laid for the successor to ISTEP. You have uh, the expansion of the pre-K uh, pilot with another, what, $44 million over the biennium. Um, you know, is this, this was a heavy-duty, ended up being a heavy-duty education session, did it not? Yeah, no, no question. I mean, the roads is certainly the big issue of the session, but uh, with the doubling of money for preschool, you're quadrupling the number of counties that it reaches into, which nobody was talking about at the beginning of the session. But what they ended up with was we're in five counties now with that pilot program. They go to 20 with an emphasis on going into rural counties. So a lot more areas of the state are going to get an idea of whether this is something that uh, they believe is delivering benefits. So certainly not the universal funding that some advocates had hoped for, but but actually better than it appeared maybe three or four weeks ago when the Senate was suggesting that maybe we already have what we need in terms of a statewide uh, footprint yes, for Senate pre-K. Republicans have always been very uh, cautious on pre-K. And they also feel like when we set up the pilot, we, we put in this longitudinal study that would follow these kids through third grade because we wanted to see if it's working before we put more money into and we're it. We're not there yet. So, so right, so. we're a couple years away from that. So they really you know, balked at, at doing this. But in the end, I think during the negotiations, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but I'm sure that Governor Holcomb made clear that that was one of his very top priorities, and he might be able to give on some smaller stuff if they would, you know, give him that. And they and they gave him the 20 million plus. It, it, it's technically a little more than 20 million, but that money was already being used in a separate early learning. They just merged it. So. And overall funding for uh, K through 12 is, I think, up 1.6 uh, percent in the first year of the biennium, 1.7% in the second year. And again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. That's either a huge, uh, significant increase, or if you ask some of the Democratic leadership, it might be barely an inflationary increase just to keep people's uh, proverbial heads above water. Uh, is that going to make a difference, do you think, that those funding levels? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's mostly a pretty moderate increase. Um, and you also have to look at just uh, which schools are getting more funding. These schools that are you know, losing a lot of students in some of these more um, poor areas, obviously they're still going to struggle and not get as much money as they would like. I think um, every year you come back to this discussion, uh, educators aren't going to be necessarily happy with how much the money they get. That's kind of Um, something that you can expect every year. It's never going to be to the level that they feel they need to, you know, be able to support some of these districts that are losing students. And and the teacher uh, bonus program, I guess it's going to operate under a different name uh, since it had created some sparks in the last go-around when uh, 
there were some dramatic disparities between school districts where teachers, depending on school performance or socioeconomic factors, any number of factors, some, you're either getting a handsome uh, check as a bonus or maybe enough to buy a Coke. Uh, <laughs> but that's still in there, $30 uh, million, dollars, I believe. Yeah. It, and that, that's, uh, that was a point of contention, though. Yeah, and I, think, I believe that was not in the House the House version of the budget at all, and then Senator Kenley, you know, felt pretty strongly that we should do that. Um, and I do think that that was a significant point of contention when those checks actually came out, and um, you know, hopefully they can sort of get that get that right this year, um, because you know, I think what they intended from that program was was a nice sort of you know stipend for educators, and you know, you don't, I, I certainly don't think that they intended you know, to, to short or to short teachers. And the formula for that were changed, but that's a great example of how you get the pre-K money. You drop the teacher appreciation grants from 40 million a year to 30 million, and then you add 10 million over here to pre-K, and both sides get what they want. You could be on the budget committee, I think. You're, you're, starting, you're starting to figure out. You're a little bit here, a little bit there. I mean, it, that's a big deal, huh? I mean, yep, that's uh, for, for teachers uh, to, uh, we always hear that teachers, you know, we, they deserve the, the, everything we can give them because they're, they do their best work and, and will this send that message, do you think? Well, I mean, th- they hope it will. I mean, they hoped it would with the first version of the program. And then, as you said, you were getting enough money maybe to buy two Cokes, but it was, <laughs> they weren't getting big checks. You had teachers saying, this isn't, this isn't a compliment, this is an insult. To, to, here's your great work, here's $5.60 or something. So they've rewritten the rules in addition to funding it again. We'll see if it actually works as intended. You know, if it had worked the way it intended the first time, they wouldn't have had to revisit it. Well, one of the reasons there was the controversy is, of course, the accountability measurements, and teachers were effectively held responsible or accountable for student performance in their classrooms. Um, and that brings us to, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, maybe our final goodbye to the ISTEP test. Now, it won't be an immediate change because I guess the concern before was that it had been rushed into service too quickly. Maybe that's why the test wasn't what anybody wanted to be, especially the teachers who got one or two Cokes. But uh, will this, the iLearn program, its successor, uh, will there be time to work out the bugs in that over the next? Because this would, this would be phased in theoretically in the 2018-2019 school year. Uh, we'll see. I, I think what most people need to understand about that ISTEP bill is it didn't create a test. It set broad parameters of what lawmakers would like to see in a test. They want a shorter test. They want it, the results back quicker. You know, they want it cheaper. But the real, I guess, work comes when they put out an RFP and we get responses back from testing companies on whether this is even possible. I mean, we've kind of set what we want and given the board some flexibility to contract out to try to get it, but we really won't have any idea what iLearn will look like until we go through that contracting process. And of course, uh, we can't leave the subject of education funding if we don't talk about the ongoing uh, friction, dispute, debate, between dollars that are going toward traditional public education and those that are going for voucher for private school voucher uh, programs, and the, of course the, the the complaint on the part of say the Indiana State Teachers Association and other organizations, public school organizations, you know, how come they they being the private schools that are benefiting arguably from the vouchers getting more? Um, but I mean, that's there's no way to slice it any differently. They are getting more. Is that right? It's a uh, 
Yeah, there were. Um, for better or for worse, that is that is the, the the way this bill this budget works. Yeah, um, and a big thing with that is the um, you know they're slowly changing how the voucher system works. Um, there were a couple huge bills this year that law or that opponents say expand the voucher system, like pre K, for instance. Um, we saw some voucher language make it in that bill. Um, that would allow students to, if they were attending a school that already had first through sixth, they could continue going to that they school. They wouldn't have to jump that extra yeah. hoop that they would otherwise. Right, right. And there were some other ones, too. Um, for instance, one that would sort of ease the punishment almost on failing voucher schools. They would be able to appeal um, their punishment sort of to a board, much like public schools could. So... Uh, many opponents were kind of fearful of some of these, you know, they seem kind of minor, but they they see them as something that would expand vouchers even more than they're at right now. You know, and, and Luke Kinley, the chair of Senate Appropriations, uh, he had raised some eyebrows a few weeks back by uh, his budget proposal breaking out for the first time a line item specifically for voucher dollars and private dollars. And everybody said, wow, the transparency. And, and he said, well, it's been good. It, it spurs competition. Not in the not in the budget though that uh, uh, emerged uh, from the session. Right. I think that um, House Republicans have been um, they have not wanted to do that because they don't want they think that that's sort of the first step in terms of tamping down maybe spending on that program. But Senator Kenley has always sort of had a nuanced view on vouchers. Um, he has. You know, he was sort of one of the main proponents for you know still having voucher students. Um, you know. He wanted voucher students to still spend some time at a public school before a public school right, before. before going into it, and so he's always sort of had a had a nuanced view on this issue. But I definitely think that um, voucher opponents and voucher skeptics are clamoring for more transparency on this. Even Jennifer McCormick, the new state superintendent, she's not a voucher skeptic. She's you know in favor of school choice, but she has. Um, recently said that, you know, she thinks that this program needs a little bit more transparency around it, a little bit more study. And Republicans basically turned back that. I mean, they they had an opportunity to provide, like, an annual financial audit for any voucher schools. I mean, we're sending $150 million in taxpayer dollars a year to these schools, and we have no idea where they're spending it on. I mean, in a public school, it's down, you know, they have to categorize things down to if you're buying paper towels, you know, for the bathroom. And so we're not doing that. They increased overall funding for vouchers as well as the tax credit that leads to more vouchers. So when you look at those two together, I think they're seeing a 9 or 10% increase in their funding Which is far, compared far to the what we yeah. talked about. Is it fair then to assume and this is getting to be a fairly long list of issues that will almost certainly dominate or at least uh, take up a good amount of the oxygen in in the session uh, next year or uh, now, that's not specifically going to go to study committee, but we do know that there are some other interesting issues that will be headed there. Uh, can't we got to talk about cold beer and the, and the ruckus over, I mean, beer regulation. You all look like you could use one right about now. But, <laughs> but I mean, this came out of nowhere when we all sat here at the beginning of the session. What, what are, what's going to be on everybody's plate? Nowhere to be found. And then we had Rickers Convenience Mart that uh, found a way to get two um, liquor licenses and away we go. Yeah. What's the, is this really going to spur a dramatic change? Uh, I mean, we're hearing a lot of talk about we're going to look at everything from top to bottom, or is that going to be a long look and back to more of the same? 
It is the best chance of there being dramatic change than there's been as long as I've been covering this. Um, you know, they might very well decide either, A, we can't agree, even putting everybody in a room for eight months, which has been the problem. You don't, you're trying to do one issue at a time, and that affects these 13 other issues. If you put everybody in a room and say, we're looking at all the issues at once, that's their best chance to get it done. But do they actually get it done? Some people may decide, yeah, we like it the way it is. I think probably something happens. Well, and some have said it's not a, a summer study. Some have, I, did I hear, uh, I think actually on this show, I, there was a reference to four-year study, I mean, which I've never even heard of, a four-year study. I, I don't know if that was hyperbole or a, a joke or, or what, but I mean, I'm not doubting that it could be four years of, of debate before anything. Uh, Jay Ricker can... has characterized it as a four-year project. Uh, the legislative leaders, David Long and Brian Bosma, had called it a two-year project until it came down to actually passing the bill and then say, yeah, we think we can get it done in one. And if we don't, then, you know, we'll extend it. So okay, we'll see. Oh, that, we'll this, see. This was, uh, I had some lawmakers tell me that even though this wasn't on anybody's agenda, they were getting more actual constituent feedback on this issue than any of the others that we've yeah, been talking about. Yeah, it was the about. surprise of the session. There's always one that kind of catches up to us. Um, and, you know, I do think, I think regular people, and, and I realize where Senate President Pro Tem Long and House Speaker Bosma were coming from about precedent and, and how the laws are written. But to real people, all they see is I think a you guy, just said they're not real people, incidentally. No, but to real people out on the street who aren't in you know, the system every day, they see a, you know, a man who's running a business, who got the licenses legally, who went through all the hearings, and then they just want to take him away. And so they want to fight for he becomes kind of the little guy. And he also becomes their way of saying, you know, the, all the little things about this alcohol system that are weird. You know, you can't buy on Sunday. You can't buy cold beer. And so he's kind of become like the little thing, that person that everyone can rally around. And, and that's going to probably be a, a hot ticket uh, in summer study, along with uh, some of the gun proposals, constitutional carry, which effectively would be an elimination of, of all regulation, uh, whether or not, I don't know, I would seriously doubt that that would emerge from the summer study as a recommendation of the committee, but nevertheless, uh, it's, a, it's a volatile issue. Uh, and redistricting, which didn't get a, a, a look-see, or did get a look, uh, didn't get the C part, uh, never <laughs> emerged from committee. Are, are, are we going to see much action on, on those uh, this uh, we're, we're, I don't how should that. I plan my summer? Which, uh, which <laughs> you, of the committees? You should plan it around beer. Uh, I'm no glad you, that's why I've always liked you. Alcohol is the marquee issue for, the, for this summer, and it's probably the dominant issue of 2018. There's going to be a lot more on opioids in 2018, but alcohol, if they get that study done, is going to be the dominant issue next year. It's not a budget year. Roads are done. That, so, that's so redistricting, even though you had organizations that spent two years studying it, only to have a committee chairman say, we're not sure we've studied this sufficiently, That's, this is not going to be necessarily next session might not be a sweet spot for that particular bill. Maybe next session. I, th I think they're done studying it for the summer. I don't think we're going to do any more with that over the summer. You th there will undoubtedly be think bills. About it. Just think about it. Yeah, there, there were legislators who were introducing that bill before there was a study on it. So I'm sure it will be back whether it gets a hearing or not. You know, now that road funding isn't in the way, it has a better chance. But there wasn't an overwhelming enthusiasm, certainly among the Republican majority, for that bill. There have been some who have advocated it, 
But at the end of the day, they sort of looked at the study and said, mm, we're not ready to move just yet. Well, and one key opponent on the redistricting bill has been Senator Brant Hirschman. He's been very vocal against it, and he did serve on the, t- the two-year commission, and there's word that he might be moving on to a higher post at some point. There was a lot of possible goodbyes to him on the last night of session. So, you know, if he's in another way, you never know what kind of how that might change the dynamic in the caucus. Well, I'm getting a signal that, uh, unfortunately, we're up against our uh, sunny die limit. Uh, we, let's see, civil rights, hate crimes, cigarette tax. We, gotta, we might have to do a second show here. Don't, don't leave your seats yet. I thank you for being here. I hope you can now commence the, uh, the napping and or the vacations that I hope are uh, in, the, in the pipeline. Thank you all for being here. Again, my guests have been Nikki Kelly of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette, Eric Berman of WIBC Radio and Network Indiana, Ailey Colombo of the Indianapolis Business Journal, and Caitlin Lang of the Evansville Courier and Press and the USA Today Network. Well, that concludes another edition and another season of Indiana Lawmakers, the state's longest-running public affairs program. I'm John Chuanis, proud to be your host for the past two decades, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and commentator Ed Feigenbaum, thank you for joining us, and I invite you to come on back in January for the start of the General Assembly's 2018 session in Indiana Lawmakers' 37th season. Until then, take care. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc-prf.org.